Well, guys, listen, we've been going through a series called You Belong Here. And we've been addressing this, this need for belonging that we all have, you know, actually a need that God put in us. Like he put in us this desire to belong. He put in us this desire, we talked about it the first week, to be in community with him, to belong with him through Jesus Christ. Last week we talked about our need to belong in a community with other believers and how important it is to walk through life together. Today we're going to dial into this sense of belonging in a little bit of a different way. And here's this morning's big idea. We like each other and we're seeking unity because we believe that you belong at four points. And let me tell you why I believe that, we, that you belong at four points. In order to do that, we're going to be looking back in the early church. You may remember last week, we talked about some stuff that was going on in the very first church. You remember that? Like how they were unified and how they supported one another, how they gave to one another, how they lived life together. It's like our four points stance, right? I think there's a sermon coming on the four points stance. But I want to look back in the early church again, and this time we're going to look at some drama. Everybody say drama. drama. Look, here's the thing about churches, guys. Every church has drama. You know why? It has people in it. I, I cause drama. I might cause some drama for you this morning. But let's look at some drama in the first church. Turn to Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15. Here's what it says. Certain people, who will not be named, came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised, according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. All right, let's close the service now, everybody. Let's pray. <laughs> no. Isn't that the weirdest thing you've ever heard? You can't be a Christian unless you're circumcised. I've never heard a message preached on that one. Of all the drama I've seen in church, I've not had that drama in church. Thank the Lord. But besides that being very weird, <laughs> let's look into why this was an issue. Let's keep reading. Verse 2. This brought Paul and Barnabas into a sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. So here's what's going on in the very first church. Like the apostles, a lot of them have hung out in Jerusalem, right? This is where Jesus was crucified. This is where Jesus ascended. The apostle Peter, he's hanging out there. The apostle James, he's hanging out there. And there's this big question about what people need to do in order to be saved. So Paul is, is, is going along to, to Jerusalem to connect with these apostles and these teachers and these leaders to find out what to do about this particular situation. The church sent them on their way, and as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted, and this made the believers very glad. Now, anytime you read in the Bible, Gentile, that just means not Jewish, okay? So I am a Dutch Gentile this morning. I'm not Jewish. And, and the conflict is this, guys. Like, how in a faith that started in Judaism do all these people fit in now who are coming to follow Jesus, but they've never been Jewish, They've never done the traditions that Jewish people have done. The church in Jerusalem, guys, is still very Jewish. 
We can read in Paul's writings, like Paul, even during his ministry, is still wearing the tassels on his garment that Pharisees wore. Like Paul's still living a very Jewish life, and many of the first Christians were. They were still, their churches gathered, you know, in the synagogue where everybody else was meeting who was Jewish, just at a different time. And they've got this, this paradigm shift happening with all these people who are not Jewish, who are, to, who are becoming Christians. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders to whom they reported everything God had done through them. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. These Pharisees, guys, these are the very legalistic Jewish group of men who actually opposed Jesus. These are the guys who called for the crucifixion of Jesus, these were the guys who battled against him and fought to keep his resurrection a secret because they had a certain mindset. They had taken even what the Old Testament says about the law and added more laws to it. But they're in a tough position, and here's what their position is. These guys were used to seeing God in a certain way, approaching God in a certain way, and they're really struggling to turn a corner. Like they're really struggling to believe the truth. They're really struggling to live life out, to live out their relationship with God in a different way than they're used to seeing him. They believed in Jesus. They were Christians. They believed Jesus, but they weren't living what Jesus said. It's like they heard some things, but they didn't want to listen to others, right? Do you know what that's like? We all do that, don't we? Especially when we're teenagers, Jesus told them. He gave them a heads up. He said, look, the kingdom of God is going to change. When Jesus was preaching, he said, look, everything is going to shift. And Jesus did. He took, he took what they knew about worship and what they knew about God, and he flipped it. He completely changed things. So we can understand a little bit where this struggle is coming from. It's really hard for them to swallow what Jesus taught. And so when he ascended to heaven, they reverted back into what was comfortable for them. Everybody say reverted back. Have you ever done that? Have you ever had God reveal something to you and then in a matter of time, you just returned back to what you knew before? The problem here is their reverting back actually changed the gospel message from being about faith and about grace to being about keeping laws and requirements and rules. And it was robbing the gospel of its power. They were saying, you need to be Jewish to be a Christian. And these, you know, these Dutch Christians, no. But these, not, these Gentile, non-Jewish Christians, they didn't understand that. They don't know, they didn't know the law. They didn't know what was going on here. All they knew is all these expectations were being put on them besides the faith that was being preached to them. And we still see this today. Don't we? There are still churches in our community that don't want to change, right? They still want people to dress a certain way. Still want people to abide by rules and traditions that are not in the Bible. Still want to leave some people out. Now listen, what I'm not doing today is making an us and them, okay? 
We're not going to stand up here and talk bad about churches that have rules and traditions. Do you know why? Because they're our brothers and sisters in Christ. We're not going to do that, but we're praying for revival. We're praying for renewal. We're praying for eyes to be opened because that legalism is pushing people away from the gospel. I wonder sometimes why people don't look around and wonder why their churches are so empty. They point the finger at the world and they say, well, you know, only a few people are Christians. The world is against us and they have this viewpoint, this this skewed and distorted viewpoint that the more difficult they make it to be a Christian, the more spiritual they are. And this is not the gospel Jesus preached. This is not the gospel we see in the word of God. So we've seen this before, right? The Pharisees, the Pharisaical Christians struggled with them. With that, Christians are struggling with it right now. Verse six, so the apostles and elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago, God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear. You have to understand what Peter is saying here, right? You have to understand what the word of God says about the law. In the book of Galatians, Paul, writing to the Galatian church, says that the law, the Old Testament, was a tutor or a teacher to prepare people for the coming of Jesus. The book of Hebrews puts it this way, It says, by the blood of bulls and goats has no one been justified. The law was never meant to make anyone righteous and it never did. It was the grace of God on the cross even that rescued people in the Old Testament. And the sacrifices of bulls and goats and the things they did were just a foreshadowing to the the crucifixion of Jesus. The idea that a bull or goat would have to sacrifice for my sin was supposed to train people so that when they saw Jesus crucified, they would understand that he was the lamb of God. The whole paradigm shifted. Verse 11. No, we believe it's through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved, just as they are. The whole assembly became silent. Mic drop, right? As they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. When they finished, James, Jesus' brother, spoke up. Brothers, he said, listen to me. Simon has described to us how God first intervened to choose a people for his name from the Gentiles. The words of the prophets are in agreement with this, as it is written. After this, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild and I will restore it. The rest of mankind may seek the Lord. That the rest of mankind 
may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord, who does these things. Things known from long ago. In other words, this was always the plan, fellas. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for Gentiles or non-Jewish Christians who are turning to God. See how the Holy Spirit is speaking to bring clarity? So the leaders in Jerusalem draft this letter. I'm gonna read it to you out of the message because I believe the message conveys the idea more clearly. So here's the letter. Hello. We heard that some men from our church went to you and said things that confused and upset you. Yes. Mind you, they had no authority from us and we didn't send them. We have agreed unanimously to pick representatives and send them to you with our good friends, Barnabas and Paul. We picked men we knew you could trust, Judas and Silas. They've looked death in the face time and again for the sake of our master, Jesus Christ. We've sent them to confirm in a face-to-face meeting with you what we've written. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us that you should not be saddled with any crushing burden, but be responsible only for these bare necessities. Be careful not to get involved in activities connected with idols. Avoid serving food offensive to Jewish Christians, blood for instance, and guard the morality of sex and marriage. These guidelines are sufficient to keep relations congenial between us and God be with you. So here's what the apostles are saying to these new believers. Keep the main thing the main thing. Don't get caught up fighting over things that scripture doesn't say. Don't draw lines that scripture doesn't draw. And then they give this encouragement. Don't don't be around idols. Right? Don't don't do things that are going to confuse people. All right? He's giving them some guidelines like, hey, you've never been Jewish and you've given your life to Christ and you don't have these expectations, right? But be careful when you're around Jewish Christians because they may not understand it. It may be a stumbling block for them. It may be important for you not to just flaunt your freedom in front of everyone because some people are still trying to understand this. This is something that you and I deal with, guys. There are people in this room who don't have a conviction against moderate alcohol use, and there are people in this room who do. But listen, you belong at four points. This is not a major. This is a minor. This is a minor. What music you listen to? Some people just want to listen to Christian music. I ain't there, right? I like good music of just about any type. Lately, it's been country. I don't know. I just want to have my arm hanging out the window. When I drive home, just totes relaxing, you know? It's been, it's been good for me. But this is what he's getting at. So here's the thing. I may not have a conviction against alcohol, but that doesn't mean I have to go everywhere with everyone and do it because I don't always know where someone has been. I could be sitting across the table from someone who is an alcoholic, Right, and we don't like those titles. You're in Jesus, that's who you are. But I don't want to be a temptation to you. Just because I listen to a style of music doesn't mean every time you get in my car, I need to blare it. You know, in a few weeks, we're going to start a sermon series on the book of Philippians. We're going to say to the book of Philippians, and one of the things Paul says in there is he says, consider all others as more important than yourself. This is what it means to be a Christian. Not just if you're a pastor, but any Christian, you know? You have to think about what you do. You don't want to be a stumbling block 
to somebody else. So that's, that's what they're saying, guys. Let's focus on the main stuff. Let's don't fight over the small stuff. But if you don't mind, why don't you, can you do some of these things? Because these guys haven't caught on yet. Verse 30. So the men were sent off and went down to Antioch where they gathered the church together and delivered the letter. The people read it and were glad for its encouraging message. Judas and Silas, who themselves were prophets, said much to encourage and strengthen the believers. So can you see the wisdom of the apostles in this passage? I mean, there's drama. There's always drama. But can you see the wisdom? Can you see the way that they went to the word of God to see what it said? Can you see the way that they were open to the Holy Spirit to speak to them and to confirm what God was doing? Can you see that they followed the Spirit's prompting to build bridges rather than tear bridges down? At four points, guys, we are all about building bridges. This morning, I want to share with you some of the ways that we do that at four points. We love the Bible. We love the Bible. You may be like, man, this guy is just always a scripture, scripture, scripture. I love the Bible. I love it. In fact, I don't think I really have anything valuable to say to you that doesn't come from this. You don't want my opinions, and my opinions change. If you ask me for my opinion, I might give it to you, but a week from now, I don't, I don't own it. It might, it might be different, right? Because I'm a human being. We love the word of God at four points. Listen, guys, the world changes. The world is always changing. And if we are gonna reach lost people in our community, we never compromise this, but we can compromise everything else. Everything else. The Bible is the only thing that never changes. At four points, we believe in, in reading our Bibles and knowing our Bibles and living it out. Every tradition and every method that we may use will change and we, because we will be continually asking this question. Here's the big question we ask as you ask as your leaders at four points. How can we communicate the truth of the gospel in a way that the culture around us can understand it and receive it? That's the question. We're not committed to any traditions. You can be. There's nothing wrong with traditions. You might, you might have some, you may, listen, you might like wearing a suit on Sunday morning. Fantastic. If it's out of worship in your heart for God, do it every week. I'm not. That's not an expectation from God. He, he doesn't care. He knows what you look like naked. He doesn't care what you wear. He doesn't care. And be careful that we don't dress up because we want other people to think that we have means or we want to show off because someone's going to be here who doesn't have those means. We need to make sure we're communicating in a way, the timeless truth of the gospel in a way that the community understands it. While my wife and I lived four and a half months in Amsterdam and we worked a lot in the red light district, which if you don't know is where prostitution is legal. It was a lot of ministry to drug addicted and homeless uh, men and women because the red light district is like open all night and it's well lit and there's always police around, the homeless lived there a lot because it was the safest place in town actually to be. And Corey got to do some outreach to prostitutes 
there as well. But we saw some creative outreach (laughs) when we were there. From taking biscuits and tea to sitting down with a prostitute in her window to build relationship, to walking down the street with your kids. You hear me? (laughs) With your kids so that these women can see what life looks like for someone who's following the Lord. One thing they had that I thought was so cool is they had a club evangelism ministry. They literally had people who slept all day, got up at night, and went clubbing all night long. And the only thing they did was go from club to club to club to club to sit there and talk to people, make relationships, and talk about Jesus every night of the week. And people were coming to know Christ. People were being met where they were. They weren't being treated as outsiders. Had a youth ask me this week about doing evangelism on the internet. The Billy Graham Association, guys, does some incredibly creative outreach on the internet. It blew my mind when I heard about it. Like last week, I talked about video games, right? And how you can make these NBA star avatars. Well, the Billy Graham Association has people whose full-time job is going into these games and making churches. They have little churches where avatars walk up. Some look like giraffes and some look like people and some look like NBA stars and they all huddle up and and, and they preach a sermon through text. I would have never thought of that. Some of you guys probably would think of something like that. We'll talk about that later. In the past, we could just talk to people about getting saved. Guess what? Most people don't know what you mean. Most people don't know what you mean. Tent revivals don't work anymore. Do you know why they don't work? Because four out of five people have never heard the gospel before. In the past, tent revivals were brilliant. Even Billy Graham is not having tent revivals in America anymore. Have you noticed? They're investing so much in new ways to reach people. They have some meetings, but they're investing a lot in new Ways, because here's the thing, in the past, guys, most people went to church when they were a kid. Most people maybe were living in rebellion from God. Most people needed to hear a great preacher just tell them to repent. And then they would repent, and they would turn around, and they would have revival, right? They would come to know Jesus. But four out of five people, when you say you need to know Jesus, they're not going to know what you're talking about. So what do we do? We ask tough questions to meet people where they are. Guys, people are skeptical of invitations. You know, sometimes we have invitations and we have the same people down every week and we count them each time. I'm kidding, we don't do that. We don't do that. But listen, now because of so many instances where with invitations in the past, for some people in this room right now, if I said, hey, raise your hand if you want to give your life to Christ, the first thing that would pop into your mind is you just want to count me. Right? I see heads nodding. I'm looking in your eyes and I can tell that you know exactly what I'm talking about. Here's the thing at Four Points, guys. We're going to keep having invitations and I'm going to keep asking you to raise your hand because somebody may be here who needs to receive Christ. Right? But I want you to know what our motive is. We're not counting because we need a pat on the back. I don't need a pat on the back from you. My identity is in Jesus. And I have all that I need in him. Right? But we listen to each other. 
your opinions and thoughts matter. So we will keep calling for people to respond, but listen, some people won't because they don't trust us. And so we have to do the more difficult work of having a relationship with someone, of walking someone through it, of explaining what it means. Otherwise, we have people raise their hands and then we never see them again. When churches say, I've had this many people saved this month, I think to myself, I'd like to see a list of where they are a month from now. I'm not making fun of churches, guys. Hear my heart. And we're gonna keep asking people to respond. But man, we gotta make sure that we're communicating the gospel in a way that people can receive it and understand it. We welcome the Holy Spirit at Four Points Church. We are a spirit-filled church. We expect miracles. We believe in miracles. We expect things to happen we can't explain. We expect people to be healed. We pray for people to be healed. We expect miraculous giftings to manifest themselves in our worship service. We're waiting on miracles and we see miracles happen. In fact, this morning, if you're sick or you know someone who's sick, during the invitation time, I want you to go to the prayer room and let someone pray over you. Because we believe that God answers prayer. We believe that God heals. We believe that God heals someone who's not, not even here because you pray for them. Now, does that mean that every person we pray for is healed? No. God is not that mean. Do you know that you weren't built to live forever? You were built to be with God forever. <laughs> it's appointed unto man once to die. Every miracle healer in history is dead and gone to heaven. And all the prayers in the world did not keep them here. Do you know why? Because God wanted them home. And if someone is supposed to be going home, why would we ever want them to stay? Right? But at the same time, man, it's spiritual warfare. There's a lot of people who are sick because of spiritual warfare. There's a lot of people who are sick because of illnesses in the world, because of things that God hates, like cancer. God hates these things. And he's commanded us to pray in faith for people to be healed. You know a prayer I never pray? God, your will be done. Now, I'm not making fun of you if you pray that prayer, because I get it. Right? Jesus said, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But God doesn't need me to remind him that he's able to do what he wants. He's asked me to pray in faith. And so if you're sick, I'm going to lay hands on you today and I'm going to pray for healing. And I'm going to believe for healing. And we see healings happen. We welcome the Holy Spirit. Guys, we also listen to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit speaks to us. The Holy Spirit speaks to us through worship, through preaching, through one another. But at the same time, guys, we have to have a seatbelt. We need to check everything the Spirit tells us with his word. God will never tell you anything that contradicts this. He won't do it, right? So, so you're thinking to yourself, Phil, how do, I, how do I know when God is speaking to me? Here's how. Continually seek him. Continually listen to the Spirit and continually get in the Word 
And the more that you do and the more that you grow, the more clear that voice is gonna become. The less confusing it will be. Four points were not about labels. What do I mean by labels? Let's start with denominations for one thing. I can't tell you how many times people have been like, look, God isn't real. Look how divided the church is, right? There's all these different churches, all these different denominations. You can look at me like I'm crazy, but let me tell you what I think this morning. I don't think denominations are a bad thing. Do you know why we have denominations? (laughs) Because imperfect people are doing their very best in good conscience to understand a God who's way bigger than all of them. Way bigger than all of them. Right, our charismatic brothers and sisters, and we fit in that circle, by the way, BT dubs, emphasize the work and the miracles of the Holy Spirit. We need that. Our Baptist brothers and sisters, man, they emphasize the word, sola scriptura, like the Bible, the Bible, the Bible. We need someone to emphasize the Bible. Our Presbyterian Reformed brothers and sisters emphasize the sovereignty of God, the control of God, the, the lordship of God, and somebody needs to emphasize that, guys. The issue is humility. The issue is humility. It's not wrong to think differently on debatable issues. It's not wrong to interpret the scriptures differently on debatable issues, but we need to have humility. We need to be teachable. We need to be willing to listen to other people. And I don't care what kind of church you come from, you are welcome at Four Points Church. We have one banner and that banner says Jesus on it. It says Jesus. And if you're following Jesus, we want you to follow Jesus with us. This is an Orthodox study Bible. It was given to me by a good friend of mine, Father Matthew, who's an Orthodox priest. He used to be the pastor of an evangelical church, a growing and vibrant evangelical church. And he left evangelical churches to become an Orthodox priest. I read this Bible sometimes. I especially like to read the commentary. I think it's interesting to see how the passages in Scripture are interpreted sometimes. And it's helpful to me. You know why? Because they are Christians. You know, Father Matthew always wanted to try to convert me to be orthodox. You know, he'd say, say, well, we're worshiping more like the first Christians did. I said, yeah, but the Bible never tells me I need to worship like it's 1999. You know, like I don't have to, I don't have to worship in the past. That's my conviction. My conviction is the future. How do we reach people for the future? So we're good friends. We don't agree, but they're Christians. Orthodox and Catholic and Baptist and Presbyterian and Charismatic and Methodist. It doesn't matter if you're seeking Jesus. We wave one banner and we keep the main thing, the main thing. So here's some implications during worship. You may be the kind of person who just has your hands in your pockets and it's very spiritual for you to take in the words of what's being said. You're just taking it in and in your heart, you're receiving it. That is worship. The person next to you might be like, hey, you know what I mean? And, and that's, that's them responding to the presence of the Lord in worship and both are okay and both are fine. And you might be uncomfortable. That's not what we want. But as a church, guys, we receive each other. We celebrate the differences. Someone might have gifts you don't have. The Bible is clear. We don't all have the same gifts. You might have different convictions. As long as you're not compromising the word of God. 
worry about it. Unified does not mean uniform. Right, Jenny Scott threw that one at me this week. She's a good one. We also need to have grace for people on the journey. Do you know that a healthy church always has people who are spiritually mature and people who are just getting started? We have to have room for both, guys. We don't speak words of condemnation over people who are still just trying to figure it out. We live an example. No matter where you are in your walk with God, you are welcome here. Even if you're questioning God, if, even, if you hate God, you're welcome here. I would love to talk to you about that. At four points, we're not labeling people. At four points, we resist prejudice, race, ethnicity, how much money you bring home in your paycheck each week, what kind of car you drive, where you're from. People divide over these issues in church all the time. Guys, our world is divided, increasingly so, along these lines. But I want to read a passage of scripture to you, and we might pull something out of it you've never heard before. But it's not because of Phil, it's because it's what the word says. Numbers chapter 12, verse 1 says this. Miriam and Aaron began to talk against Moses because of his Cushite wife, for he had married a Cushite. Has the Lord spoken only through Moses, they asked? Hasn't he also spoken through us? And the Lord heard this. Here's the issue, guys. I mean, this Cushite thing is a really big deal, right? He said, they say it twice. We're offended you have a Cushite wife and we're mad because she's Cushite. So Moses was a Middle Eastern dude. That's what he looked like. Okay, a Cushite was Ethiopian. Black. And Miriam and Aaron didn't like it. They were mad. They were mad about this interracial relationship. It made him mad. I'm not gonna read the whole story today. I want you to read Numbers chapter 12 though because here's what happens. God shows up and he gives Miriam leprosy. You want to talk about being isolated from other people? When you have leprosy, here's what, how you spend your days. Unclean, unclean, unclean. You got to keep saying that. Unclean, unclean. Because no one's allowed to be by you. No one's allowed to talk to you. You don't have any relationships except with other people who have leprosy because people don't want to get sick. So right away, Moses is crying out to God, God, please take this leprosy from Miriam. She didn't know what she was doing. You know what God says? He says, if a father spits in his daughter's face, doesn't she have to stay outside the camp for seven days? And God restores Miriam, but she has to stay outside the camp for seven days first. And here's what God was saying. Don't you make anyone an outsider. Don't you draw these lines. We have a creative God who is created enough to make people look different and act different. And he celebrates it. And we don't draw these lines. We're not going to be prejudiced here at Four Points Church. You don't have to laugh at the joke, by the way. At Four Points Church, there are no outsiders. Everyone can be an insider. We empower men and women. If you look at the resurrection stories, guys, it's fascinating. You have Mary Magdalene and these women, they go, to see the, they go to the tomb, you know, to bring spices and to embalm Jesus, you know, and he's not there. And they leave and then Peter and John, they come running up later 
to check in, see, and they see that the tomb is empty and then they go back. And then Mary Magdalene comes back later and she's weeping. And you can read about it in John chapter 20. But she sees an angel of the Lord and then, and then Jesus shows up behind her and he goes, Mary. She goes, teacher? And she clings to him and Jesus says, don't cling to me. Go and tell. Go tell the disciples. Go tell them that I'm alive. Go tell them that I'm ascending to the Father. So here's my question this morning. Why, the, why didn't Jesus reveal himself to Peter? Peter had been there. He didn't see nobody. John was there. He didn't see Jesus. God waited for Mary. He waited to reveal himself to her and to tell her to go. Why? Because Jesus was trying to tell us something. That in a world where women were minimized to the uttermost, that God doesn't minimize women at all. We say women can't teach, women can't preach. Well, Mary was. She was the first one to preach the gospel. Jesus was raised. Jesus is alive. In this time period, women couldn't even testify in court. It didn't make sense for a woman to be the first witness. But it made sense to God. And the church for too long, guys, has not gotten on board with God's program for women. At four points, we believe that God uses both men and women to lead, to teach, to disciple, and to serve. God is using all of us, and we're excited about it. And lastly, we embrace the future. I'm going to read a statement to you, and then I'm going to add some clarity to it. But follow along with me. The greater work of the older generation is not casting new vision, but adding wisdom to the vision of the younger generation and pushing it forward. I want to help us understand this a little better. Here's where we get it wrong. Young people, and I'm knocking on your door, I'm not that old yet. The younger generation tends to have too high a view of their own opinions. And to see the older generation as a burden or getting in the way, right? The consequence is that their vision is often short-lived for lack of wisdom. Let me give an example. I have a friend who started a donut business. I love donuts. I love donuts. Well, I had a catering event. I was ready to order hundreds of donuts. And I called him to say, hey, how much are your donuts? He just started. He said, $5.99. I thought, man, those are some donuts. <laughs> I would love one. Um, in fact, I did eat one. They're really good. But I said, okay, so what's like the bulk price? Like if I get this many hundred donuts, what does that cost? Well, it's, for, it's the same price. Okay, thank you very much. You know, have a good day, right? That business didn't last more than six months. Right? And those of you who are older in the room, you're like, yeah, that's terrible business. Right? Lack of wisdom, zeal, fervor, but lack of wisdom. Everyone wants to be Mark Zuckerberg, but they don't know how much work it actually takes to be Mark Zuckerberg. <laughs> okay, I'm going to pick on the older people, and I'm knocking on your door too, because I ain't that young. 
The older generation tends to have too high a view of their own experience and to view the younger generation as irresponsible and unhelpful. Listen carefully. The consequence is that the older generation is failing to empower leaders to help them reach the next generation. 6,000 to 10,000 churches will close in America this year. That's 100 to 200 churches a week. Guys, churches that don't learn to speak the language of the culture around them will die. And the bigger ones just die a longer, slower death. And it's sad. It breaks the heart of God. Because young people, you gotta learn that people who have lived longer do have wisdom you don't have yet. Your parents, listen. Older people, listen. You need the vision of young people. And your job is no longer to create the vision for them. It's to hear what they have to say, to add wisdom into the mix, and to use the resources you have that they don't to push them forward. Churches are planting every day, guys, that don't have enough wisdom and they don't have enough resources because the older generation is checking out sometimes. In 1 Timothy chapter four, Paul is writing to this guy, Timothy, that he discipled, who's now a pastor of a church in Ephesus. And Timothy was a teenager when he first started following Paul. Most of the disciples were probably also teenagers, at least some of them. So Timothy's probably about 22 to 25 right now, pastoring this church in Ephesus. It's hard to pastor a church when you're in your 20s. There's not a ton of experience there, but you have to surround yourself with older wisdom. And he had Paul to speak wisdom into his life. Teenagers, I want you to hear something from me. I want to walk alongside Pastor Stephen <laughs> to encourage you to add wisdom, to equip you, to prepare you to do greater things than I will ever do. That's God's call. We're on your team. Four Points is on your team, which is a very good thing. The other day I was riding in the car with my kids and they're playing rock, paper, scissors. You ever played that game? And one of the kids goes, rock, paper, scissors, four points. Like four points became like the trump all over rock, paper, scissors. So look, if four points is greater than rock, paper, scissors, having four points on your team is a good thing. But listen, no matter who you are, we want to hear your opinions. We want to hear your thoughts. Now there's something to God calling leaders in the church. We may not do everything you think we should do. And you have to trust that we have the humility <laughs> to hear from the Lord. But we value every generation. We value every race and culture and context. We value both men and women. We're not worried about labels. We love the word and we follow the spirit. We like each other and we're seeking unity. So I believe that Four Points is a church for you doesn't matter where you come from. 
Doesn't matter what you're still learning or what you think you have figured out. Four Points is a church for you. And I wanna encourage you, if you haven't already, to stop by our next steps counter and talk to someone. We wanna help you get plugged in. We wanna get you involved in what we're doing. We wanna do great things with you together. Maybe you're here today and you don't even know Jesus. Here comes the invitation part, right? Don't harden your heart to what the Spirit wants to say. I promise you that I don't care other than that I care for you. Don't put it off. Just talk to God. Say, God, I believe you sent your son Jesus for me. God, I know I'm a screw up. I sin. I receive your forgiveness in Christ and I give you my life. If you pray that prayer, you will be rescued. Was that clear enough to understand? That is the gospel. It's the good news. And then you've got to let us know. Write it on a card. Text it to us. Go to the prayer room because you cannot do this alone. I cannot do this alone. We can't do it alone. Let's pray. Father, Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for how you're speaking to us. Father, have your way. Tear down walls to accomplish your purpose in and through us. In Jesus' name, amen.